Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good morning, beautiful people of Hatfield. It is so good, such an honor and a privilege to be able to share in the word with you. And really, as you well know, we're in the middle of our Rooted Hope series. And this is a series where we look at what it means to be a people rooted in hope in the midst of challenging times. Now, you guys know that we're busy preaching through 1 Peter, so you can grab your Bibles, you can get them ready, Um, and today we're going to be looking specifically at 1 Peter chapter 2, and our topic today is really what it means to be a socially distant family on mission. So I want to just take you back a little bit, and I want you to think about what it was like when you first gave your life to Christ. Um, this looked different for everyone. I, I think for some of us, it's this quick, passionate moment of just surrendering everything. And, and for yet others, it's this slow burn that, that intensifies and grows in heat. And yet for others, it's the reality that we've grown up in a Christian home and we've known God our whole life. And, and this relationship is just something we've always had and, and always had um, to hold on to. But really... The, the one commonality we have, no matter what the beginning looks like, is that once we give our hearts and our lives to Christ, we are never the same. We are forever changed. Um, our identity, our purpose, our reason for living is radically altered because we are found in our Creator and we are known by Him. I remember the first time someone invited me to church and uh, I really wasn't up for it because I'd grown up in a very staunch Greek Orthodox church and, and I'd seen the people that are there. They looked miserable. They didn't look happy to be there. It was stiff. You couldn't be yourself. You had to be dead quiet. And this just wasn't my scene. But at the same time, we were growing up in a very difficult home environment. And when this friend invited me to go to youth group on Friday night, I, I just jumped at the opportunity simply because it meant one night away from home. And this friend was speaking to me all about how awesome it is and the games they play and the teaching and everything. And I was just like, no, 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 no. I'll go, but I'll go on my terms. And really, my terms at the time were books. I, I lived for books. I lived in books, and they were my great escape. And so I went on Friday night, and I sat in the corner, and I took my book with me. And there was this amazing leader that that didn't coerce me, didn't make me join in, didn't force me to do anything, but simply left me in the corner, checked in with me multiple times, and, uh, and just gave me the space to be. I think he recognized that I needed to be here for a reason. And so I did that, and in a couple of weeks, they announced discipleship courses, and while I wasn't up for that either, it meant another two nights out of home in the week, and this three-night stretch that I could literally be free of the troubles and the issues that we faced at home. And so I decided, fine, I'm going to do this thing, but as always, I'm going to do it on my own terms. Think about it. Three nights to read. Woo, uh, how much fun would that be? And, uh, and really, that one discipleship course changed my life. 
And it was simply because there was a leader there, and it was this kind, wonderful, loving um, lady that, that just came and, and recognized that here was a young man that was deeply broken and deeply in need of finding identity and life and truth. And, um, and I decided that as kind as she was and as loving as she was, I was going to make this a difficult experience for both of us. And the reason I did that is, is just because I was widely read and I questioned everything. And, and so there was nothing she could say about Christianity and Jesus and life in Christ that I didn't question. And I didn't, I, I didn't have questions about. And really one of the biggest questions I had was this whole idea that Christ would die for me. I didn't like it. I didn't like the idea of it. And, and one of the reasons I struggled with it most was just because everything in my life had taught me that I was worthless, that I was not worthy, um, I had no purpose. And this thought that this great man, this good man, would die for me just made no sense. And this leader just kept loving me, and this leader just kept answering my questions until it came to just about two weeks from the end of this discipleship process after a long year that... Um, that we'd gone on this camp and I was sitting on the top of this hill and I did that thing that, that people tell you you should never do. And I asked God for a sign. And I just said to him, God, if you are real, I need you to show me. And so as the sun came up over the hill that morning, um, it just had this beautiful ring of so many colors and facets and, and so beautiful around the sun. And I just heard God say, you know what, I am that sun, me. And the ring that you see around it is, is God, it is me, it is, in, it is me enfolding you and holding you. And the truth of it is that I will never let you go. And I needn't tell you that I just had a moment where I just broke on the top of that hill. I was a mess. It was the ugly cry. We've all got an ugly cry, and that was the ugly cry. And, and my leader, I think she must have been so happy because this was the go for broke. He has to give his life now or he won't. Um, and she came over and she prayed with me and helped me give my life to Christ. Now, the reason I share this story is because from the moment that I gave my life to Christ, it was like a switch had flipped in my heart. An angry, difficult young man became someone that just loved everyone, that loved people, that wanted them to know about the hope that I had found in Jesus. I'd been in a hopeless, difficult, barren situation, and in Christ I'd found not only my identity but I'd found the hope that I'd been searching for my whole life. So why this change? What, what made the change in me? And, and I've thought about this a lot of times, but mostly it was Christ's love. Christ's love shown to me through a few leaders who gave me space and loved me, were kind to me. It was this new identity that I'd found. I was someone who had no identity, no sense of self, but also, it was the fact that for the first time in my life, I'd been affirmed, not only by people, but by God, my creator, who just said, you know what, I've fashioned you, formed you, created you, you need to know who you really are. So really, I'd gone from someone who was totally unrooted to someone who had found firm roots in Christ. But really, there was so much still to learn, and I'm still learning to learn about sharing my faith, to learn about how to remain hopeful, to, 
to learn about how to love people with the same love of Jesus that had been shown to me. And, and some of you are going, okay, but what does this have to, to do with one Peter? And I'm getting there. Um, that was a very long intro, but that's okay. You're bearing with me. As we look at one Peter, we're really seeing Simon Peter write this letter to the Gentiles in Asia Minor, and he's writing to encourage them. Why? Because their faith was a, a, a deep and, and, and rooted faith, but it came with a lot of persecution and difficulty and hardship. And, and he writes to encourage them because he wants them to remain rooted in the hope that they have in Jesus. And he wants to teach them what it looks like for a Christian to remain rooted and still so hope and still love those around them, including their enemies in the midst of trial. So really, the same way their circumstances didn't magically get better the moment they came to Jesus, um, in the same way, my home situation hadn't changed. It was still crazy and difficult, and there was still fighting, and there was still negativity. But I had changed. And the way I looked at the situation had changed. And, and my ability to find hope in the midst of the most crazy circumstance had been birthed when Christ had just enfolded me and taken me into his embrace. So really, Peter comes and he encourages them to be holy and he encourages, encourages them to love others and to love their enemies. And that's where we pick up today. So I, I just want you to turn to 1 Peter 2. And we're just going to be reading those first 10 verses and they read as follows. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, the living stone and the chosen people, as you come to him, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Peter shares two very important concepts in this passage of Scripture. Firstly, that in Christ we have now become temples. The Greek word he uses here is oikos, which essentially means an occupied dwelling. And I, I love that imagery that the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence within me and is busy just growing the holiness within me. And essentially, essentially what, what Peter is speaking about here is he's speaking about this inward reality of holiness which grows in us. And as that takes place, a rootedness which develops in us. 
But he goes on, and secondly, further in the passage in verse 9 and 10, Peter shares that we are a people chosen to be a royal priesthood. And, and really, it's sharing that reality of God, what God has done in us, sharing that with others around us, sharing the love of Christ that we have received, the mercy that we have received with those we come into contact with. And this is an outward reality. It's, it's the going out with what we have received, and it's the wanting it for others, um, that thing that we have now received from God. But really, what does it mean to be holy? Because Peter speaks about this idea of holiness, and how do we get there? And for that, I, I really want to just focus in on, on verse 1 of chapter 2, and, and that is that piece of scripture where Peter writes, rid yourself of all malice. And this word malice, when we start to unpack it, really is just an umbrella term for sin. Rid yourself of all of the sin that so easily entangles in your life. And, and really, one of my favorite comedians that, uh, that just made me think of this is um, Michael McIntyre. And, and my wife and I love to watch him, and he, he just has all these funny bits. But he speaks about what is called a man drawer. And uh, you can call it a junk drawer in our, in our um, context today. But, but really, he shares around this concept that everyone, all of us in our homes, we have that drawer that contains all kinds of junk, um, all the leftover old stuff that we no longer use, old used batteries and instruction manuals for appliances we no longer have, chargers for phones and shavers that also are in that drawer but we no longer use, and, and really currency that's no longer even in circulation. But we keep it, and we keep it all in this drawer. And let's be honest, we all have one of those spaces in our homes. And, and really, more importantly, what I want to point to today is that we all have a junk drawer in our spiritual life. We've got that space that contains all the stuff we, we brought in from our old life. Maybe there's that little bit of sin that, that we still do and we feel it's not hurting anybody. And, and there's that thing that we just hold on to that we shouldn't be holding on to anymore. And really, the reason he comes and he says, get rid of all of that stuff, get rid of the junk that you've kept in your life, is because he realizes that even a little bit of junk in the middle of great abundance can flavor our thinking and change our hearts and the way we treat people. So really, when we willfully choose to hold on to sin, it affects our thoughts and our ability to remain rooted in seasons of hardship and difficulty. And, and maybe another example that we have of this is uh, my wife and I love the, the series Friends, and there's this one episode where this one girl, Rachel, who cannot cook at all, decides she's going to surprise um, all of her friends with making a dessert for Thanksgiving. And what she doesn't realize is the two pages in her cookbook have uh, come glued together and she's making half a trifle and half a shepherd's pie. And there are all these delicious layers of custard and jelly and, and sponge. And then right in the middle there, there's this layer of, of mince and onions and peas. And you can imagine, no matter how delicious the other layers are, that one layer flavors absolutely everything else and spoils this delicious dessert. And, and really, the reason Peter comes and he encourages the church to get rid of all sin is because he realizes that that will always flavor the way we look 
at the world and the way we look at our lives. So what is it? What is it for you? What's in your junk drawer? For me, I brought a lot of negative thinking into my new life in Christ. I, I brought um, a lot of the lies that I'd begun to believe about who I am, but I also brought some sin. And it was hard, but I had to come to realize that I was clinging to this thing for a reason. I, I thought it was fulfilling a need that I had. And often, sin is a result of us trying to fulfill a legitimate need in a negative way. And I had to come to God and I had to just say, you know, God, what is this thing? Why am I holding on to this thing when, when you should be able to fill this need and, and help me fulfill the need that I have in this life? So I had to come and I had to discover what is it that this sin is fulfilling that, that I should be finding in Christ. But I also had to realize that I needed help. Um, I think sometimes, especially those hidden things, the things we carry into our new life, needs accountability, and it needs friendship, and it needs us to come to the body of Christ and say, you know what, there's this thing, and it's flavoring my relationship with Christ, and I don't want it anymore. I don't want the the mince and the onions and the peas. I, I simply want Jesus. Would you help me, and would you walk me, and walk with me out of this? So, so really, I think that's the beautiful thing, that we can recognize that we have a junk drawer, but it doesn't have to stay with us. We can throw that junk out, and we can do it in community. The second thing that Peter alludes to in terms of holiness and growing in holiness is not only the getting rid of, because the truth is holiness is not just about what I'm running from, it's also about what I'm running towards. And he speaks in verse 2 of chapter 2, and he says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this pure spiritual milk in some other translation actually is translated as the pure milk of the word. And when we go back to the original Greek word they use there to describe this milk, they use the word logikon. And when you look at that word, what it actually means is rationale and reasoning. And, and it's really pointing to the way we think that, that Peter's just saying to, to the church, he's saying to them, you know what, if you can get an appetite for the word, and if you can allow it to change the way you think about life and suffering and trial and the world and loving people, then you will be set up. You will be a holy nation. You will be able to be a royal priesthood that reaches into others' lives with the hope you have found in Christ. You see, there's this truth about what we consume Eventually, what we consume will consume us and will be reproduced by us. So I think for us, we need to come to the realization that, that what we consume matters, what we take in matters, and it will change the way we think and the way we live. So Peter urges the believers to grow in their hunger for the word and to be a people rooted in hope but he realizes that the only way they can be a people rooted in hope is to start with their minds, to start with the way that they think. And, and one of the greatest things I've found in this, and really we've always um, seen that as such a value in Hatfield, is this truth of Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. 
as you delve into the Word, yes, there need to be those quiet times where you're just reading through and, and you're just absorbing what God wants to say to you, but also there needs to be times when in community we're growing in the Word together. God has used people to shape the way I think about the word and theology and and what it is God teaches us so powerfully in my life. And I would never have been able to come to some of the realizations I'd come to if I hadn't done it in community. In Hatfield, we've seen this recently in forming pods of three or four people that have journeyed together in the word. And the feedback we get over and over again is this is powerful stuff and it's changing my life. Peter carries on in verse 4 and 5, and he says the following, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as we throw off all of this sin and as we grow in holiness, what we become are a priesthood, God's representatives and ambassadors to the people that we come into contact with on a daily basis. And what do representatives and ambassadors do? They fulfill the role of priests in the temple, and that is, number one, to worship God with our lives. Number two, to reveal his truth to those around us. And number three, to be an example in the way we love people. To be an example in the way we love people. I don't know about you, but I think it's incredible that I've become a temple for God to dwell in. That he's choosing to make his home in me and to grow me in holiness as he does just that. Now, the interesting thing is, as we grow in holiness, those two things feed into each other. We grow in holiness. We grow in a relationship with God and in his heart. Um, And in the same way, our heart becomes a heart which has a desire to bless and love people. And in verse 9 and 10, Peter says the following, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Peter, in this one statement, cements our position, our identity, our mission, and and he starts by saying, you're a chosen people. And really, what we see here is that we have value because we have been chosen by the Most High God. And he goes on to say, not only are you a chosen people, but you are a royal priesthood, responsible for serving God and responsible for making him known in the world. But more than that, He continues and he says, you are a holy nation, responsible for modeling what it looks like to grow in holiness, yes, but to live that out in the way we love others. So really, in this time of suffering and trial and in the midst of COVID-19, I pray that what we would realize is that we should be declaring the praises of who our God is and the reality of living in hope in him more than ever before. Because the truth is, COVID-19 has not changed who our God is. It didn't catch him by surprise. He wasn't shocked by it. And it doesn't change his character at all. He is still good. He is still faithful. He is still true. And every single day we're seeing the ways in which he's transforming lives in the midst of this pandemic. So really, another way to put it is that we are ambassadors. And we all know that what ambassadors do 
is that they represent some other place that is not here. And maybe the most important thing to realize is that as we go out and we take this pervasive thinking of of loving the way God loves and of being holy and of throwing off sin and of of just loving our enemies, as we bring this upside-down thinking, there will be resistance because the way we're thinking is not the world's way of thinking. And really, that's the nature of an ambassador. They come from, from some other place to represent the place they are from. And really, as we come to represent, we need to do it the way Jesus would have done it. Hate, we counter with love. Indifference, we counter with compassion. Pride, we counter with humility. Greed, we counter with generosity. And resentment, we counter with forgiveness. That is our role in a time such as this church. That year, while I was deciding whether or not to follow Christ, someone chose to love me despite the rudeness, the disdain, the negativity, the harsh words that I shared with them. And what that opposite spirit that they came at me with um, showed me was just more of the love of Christ than any lecture, than any talking to would ever have shown me. It was amazing how they'd chosen to embrace this idea of, of just the heart of Jesus, that, that when someone wrongs us, when someone comes against us, um, when someone seems unlovable, I can return love instead of whatever it is the world might return to that person. Now, I can already hear a whole bunch of you saying, okay, great, um, you want us to reach out to people in a time where we're socially distant and we're in the middle of COVID-19, and, and really, I'd like to offer three suggestions to you and three things I want you to think through and, and pray through over this next season. And the first is simply this, pray for opportunities to love and bless people. God has this amazing way of, despite any obstacle, bringing us opportunities when our hearts are sincerely turned towards him and towards his people. And two such people that I really had the greatest experiences with um, over this last season are two of the guys from my community group. And one is Jody. And Jody, hey Jody, uh, you're so awesome. Uh, Jody is just somebody who's got such a heart for reaching out to people with God's truth and, and his word. And she teaches online. And the amazing thing is, through the lectures that she gives, through the interactions she's had with people, God has just given her opportunities to have the most incredible, poignant conversations with people about faith and who Jesus is. And and then, of course, we've got my other friend, Wayne. And Wayne is just also somebody who's just new to the faith, but has such a hunger within him for everyone else to experience the goodness of God the same way that he's experienced it. And he's part of emergency services. He works as an electrician. And he's able to actually go out, and he's been to old age homes, and he's been to people's homes, and in each and every place that he finds himself, be it the old age home, he's shown kindness to some of the older people that he finds there. He's shown kindness and shared word with a gardener here and, and just different people that God has brought across his path. And, and I think the thing these two people, Jody and Wayne, have in common are both of their hearts are turned towards God's people and desire for them to know him. 
So when we earnestly come and we pray and we come before God and we say, God, you know what, here's my heart. Put people across my path that I can bless. God will do just that. Secondly, ask God to give you an outward focus in this season. I think it's so tempting to focus only on what we don't have and the limitations and the pandemic and the fear and everything else that the enemy wants to bring across our path and wants to have forefront in our brains. But what would it look like if for this season we committed to having an outward focus and asking the question, who can I bless today with the love of Christ? Now, um, one of the simplest ways that I've told people they can do this is simply take your cell phone and start scrolling through your contact list and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you show me one person that I need to reach out to today? And maybe whatever you do might look a little bit different. For some of you, you might want to send them a meal through Uber Eats, surprise them with some flowers, uh, send them a voice note, pray for them, um, or, or whatever it might be. But, but there's something beautiful that happens when we start reaching out to people with the love of Christ. And, and you know, those are the people we know, but even more so the people we don't know, people in our workplaces, people we come across um, as we're walking through um, malls or, or shops. And I know it's socially distant, so yes, we, we maintain the rules and, and we do all of that, but there's nothing stopping us from just showing a kind word um, and, and offering to pray for someone when they need it most. We were in the middle of a, a meeting this past week and we, we had a breakout room and we'd broken into a group of four and, and we were just challenged to answer a question but it was so clear that one of the people in the room were just not okay. And we decided right there and then to throw the question out the window and instead as a group to actually pray for that person and pray for their needs. What would it look like to be mindful enough to stop and notice where people are hurting and to pray into that hurt? Alternatively, there are so many projects you can just become a part of in this time. And right here in Hatfield, we've got our Hope Project, which looks at helping our people eat. Um, and what that does is people donate and we're able to help people with the necessities that they have and, and feeding their kids and making sure they've got enough to get by in this season. Um, the other project we're looking at at the moment is ROCK, R-O-C-C, Reach Out City Changes. And there we're creating bags with bare necessities that people have at the moment, something like a pair of pants, a shirt, some toiletries, a pair of shoes, um, and, and giving what we can to people that are in need and putting together a bag like that and dropping it off and, and then able to distribute it to people that have needs. So, so maybe you want to put something like that together. But really, there are so many ways that we can be a blessing at this time. And what I want to say to you is that if you are under the, the, the misconception that church is locked down in this season, that is exactly what it is, a misconception. Church, now is our time to shine. Now is our time to truly reach out and be Jesus to people. And the third thing I want to encourage you to do in this season is use your voice and your influence wisely. Use your voice and your influence wisely. God has given you influence in certain places in your life. And I just pray that when you choose to use your voice, that you will not lend your voice to negativity and fear and all of these factors that really are not helpful. There are enough voices out there that are, are spreading that kind of news at the moment. But what would it look like to lend your voice to focus on the things that God are doing 
um, or God is doing, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. This means choosing not only what to say, but what not to say. And, and for me, always, there's this uh, acronym, T-H-I-N-K, THINK, um, that, that helps me to decide what is worth sharing. And, and really, it's T, truthful. Is this truthful? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? So think about what you choose to share. And, and really, there are better things to lend your voice to in this season than negativity and fear. Um, especially in the COVID season, let's speak truth over unemployment, over illness, over loss, over our city, um, over our families, over our workplaces, over our futures, and over our country. So in closing, those are the three things I'm leaving you with, friends. Number one, would you take time to sit with Jesus this week and start to unpack that junk drawer that maybe still has some stuff in it that shouldn't be part of who you are? And would you consider who you can invite along on the journey? Number two, would you consider how you can pursue holiness in this season so that you can remain rooted in hope and also who you can take along on the journey. Maybe it's your community group, a pod that you want to be a part of, but think about that. And then thirdly, would you ask God to reveal who you can love extravagantly this week, who you can love with his love? So, so that's the three things I would leave with you. I hope you have a great week, and, and let's just take some time to pray together. Lord, we just thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are active. We thank you that you are working and that you are growing us in holiness. And we just pray for this season, God, that we would be, yes, a socially distant church perhaps, but that we would not be distant from you or from your people. And I pray, God, that you will give us opportunities to reach out, whether it is virtually or physically, um, and to reach out to people and to be your hands and feet in a season when... um, Yeah, people need your love, need your grace, need your truth in their lives more than ever. Thank you, God, that you want to use us to do this. We love you, we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.